0: Indeed, our God, we come to this place so that voices can be raised to the glory of God. The one thing that we have come for is so that you can draw pleasure from the gathered people of God as they seek to worship you in spirit and in truth. Oh God, one of the things that so hampers our worship is that we're so distracted. And I pray, oh God, that you have allowed these these hymns of praise to draw us into your presence so that we can fix our attention on on the thrice holy God. My Father, Son, and Holy Ghost sweep us away as we set aside an hour to praise the God that made us and redeemed us in Christ Jesus. And Father, our hearts look forward to being able to gather once again at this communion table where we can remember once again the cornerstone of our faith, Christ crucified. And pray, O God, that we might feed on Him afresh today. Indeed, O God, our country continues to wonder where she's headed. And I pray that you'll give the leaders your direction. Oh God, we pray for the families who, have con- who continue to grieve over the enormous losses that they have experienced in these past two months. And we pray now, oh God, that you will help us to remember that our citizenship is not in America. We do not belong to the city of man, but we belong to the city of God. That we live now, In a context of dying. And we are headed towards an eternity of living. Now, Father, accept our praise, accept our gifts. They are meager, but they come from hearts that long to worship you. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them once again to the book of Judges. As we uh, continue our... uh study of the book of Judges. We're studying, uh, we're up to Samson's life and history uh, now, And but for this morning, I really wanted to take somewhat of a pause as we direct our attention at Samson and look uh, at uh, someone else in this story, and that has to do with Samson's parents. So you follow as I read, beginning at verse 8, Judges 13, verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O oh my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, Look, the son of man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah arose and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you, and we will prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know he was... The angel of the Lord. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? That when your words come to pass, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask me my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time? So the woman bore a son called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahana Dan between Zorah and Eshtoal. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Gang, um, I think we all are aware and know that uh, there is one human frailty that has been uh, somewhat worsened um, by the events of September the 11th. There's a lot of them, I guess, that have been worsened, some improved. But one of the things that it seems that our country is experiencing a whole lot more of is fear. Um, Perhaps you saw U.S. News & World Report this past week, and the, the featured article was a It was a picture of these two women and a man in the background, but they were at uh, ground zero. And um, just forlorn looks on their faces. And the the title of this huge article in U.S. News and World Report, I meant to bring it, but is The Altered States of America. That was the big title, the altered state. And one of the altered states, ladies and gentlemen, is, of course, our sense of comfort and security and peace if uh, this country is not safe. Where is safety ever to be found? Uh, We've never had this come to our shores, now have we? We have uh, commiserated with those who have experienced terrorism in Africa, but not New York City. And one of the things that, as I'm suggesting, that has uh, increased many-fold is fear. Well, part of the story of Samson contains this brief vignette concerning his parents. Two very godly people um, who find themselves in a situation that has produced a great deal of fear. You'll notice at the end of verse 21 that they both fall on their faces. And then Manoah says in verse 22, we shall surely die. Actually, I guess the one that is the most afraid is Manoah. Not so much his wife, but Manoah is the one most guilty of a heightened sense of fear. And it's his wife that reasons him or counsels him through this period of fear that he is uh, experiencing. And that's why I want to draw your attention to this text. Uh, there, This is probably not the uh, the final answer to the issue of fear but it's certainly helpful and I I hope it will be helpful and relevant to you Uh, those of us who uh, uh, travel a lot those of us who have children that live in Washington DC whereas we feel Memphis is relatively safe there's still great concerns that we have uh, about what's going on and we keep hearing these reports well guys uh, I think there's something here in this text for us, which I thought would be very preparational for the Lord's Supper. So let's let's take a look at it real quickly, and then we'll head to the sacrament. But the first thing that I wanted you to see is that we are dealing... Uh, the, the picture that you get here of these two people is that they are genuinely godly people. I mean, here is a barren woman who, come, who uh, gets this angel that visits her, announces to her that she's going to have a baby... And uh, she runs to her husband. And, and one of the first things that you see is that Manoah treats her very uh, credibly. Uh, I mean, she is bringing something that is highly supernatural into his ears. And uh, he, never, he never doubts the credibility of his wife or the veracity of what she says. Uh, he deals with her and just longs to have another visit by this angel. And you'll notice in verses 8 and 12... Manoah never says anything about, well, how do I know this is going to happen? Or if this really happens? He says nothing like that. You remember in the New Testament when uh, when an angel visits um, Zacharias, who is going to, uh, the the husband of Elizabeth, who is going to bear John the Baptist? And this angel announces that his barren wife is going to have a son. And and he says, well, how can that be? You never see that kind of spirit in Manoah. He believes what he's been told. All he wants to know is how we're going to raise this child once he's born. There's no sense of questioning or doubting what what his wife has told him. It's a a trust in the bare word of God. And that word is so highly supernatural. You might remember another story in, in Luke chapter 7 when Jesus is dealing with the uh, with a Roman soldier, and um, uh, the soldier says, Tell him not to come to my house, just tell him to speak a word, and everything will be fine. The centurion, the Roman centurion, you remember that? And Jesus stops in his tracks and says, I hadn't heard of faith like that in all of Israel. Because the centurion is simply saying, His word is enough. If He just speaks the word, that's all I'll need. Because I know how certain and fixed and sure is, are his words. Well, that's what you see happening here in Manoah. The word is enough, and it's a very supernatural, very unlikely naturally uh promise. But he he he, he trusts in it. Um his wife, this this unnamed, she never gets a name, which always bugs me, but um, a, a, an unnamed, infertile, barren, anonymous woman. And in that, in that culture, that kind of barrenness was associated with, with worthlessness in, this, in her human obscurity. In a, in a life there is which displayed no ability, no value. It's this woman that believes from the very start. Verses 6 and 7. She never doubts what's been said to her. The word of God is enough for her, and she deals uh, on the basis of those words with the fears of her husband. God takes an anonymous woman, a woman with very little human worth, and brings about deliverance. And that promise to her is something she never never wavers on. Now gang, um, the reason I've labored this point, about I I, want to give you a, a picture of two very godly people. And I think that's what you've got here. Which means, of course, their hearts were broken all the more when their son was so wayward. But these are two very godly people, and you find them gripped with fear. At least Manoah. And my point is simply that um, the issue of fear is not something that we can uh, uh, only assign to the non-believing world. We're guilty. This is a a human frailty shared by we believers and Christians as well as those who aren't. This is a godly man and a godly woman, afraid now. They don't know whether to consider themselves blessed or to consider themselves cursed. And the unfolding of their circumstances has produced a situation that you see displayed by Manoah in verse 22. We're going to die. And that's a godly man. You know, David is another one who uh, admits in Psalm 31 that his fears surround him. Fears surround you? Maybe not. Maybe this is just for people who have children living in Washington, D.C. But I don't think so. I think there's a heightened sense of an altered state of America where fear has, um, has gotten a hold of a lot of us. At least it's increased. I uh, was in the workout room this morning, or this week, not this morning, um, but this week, and I overheard a conversation by two um, pilots. And um, one of them was complaining about his portfolio. Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, anybody else here want to complain about their portfolio? Is it not looking quite as good as it was 18 months ago? Um, I mean, has anybody's increased <laughs> in this period? And, and this guy was just railing against his stockbroker or whatever, the, the guy that manages his portfolio. And um, he said, I want results <laughs> and I'm changing and I want to tell this guy, I'm here to get results. And I want to say, what well, what do you want from this poor guy? I mean, you're I mean, nobody's portfolio. I mean, you're just trying to manage the decline, you know? But I thought, here's a man who's afraid. He thought, you know, his future was well socked away in stocks and bonds and now he's afraid. And that's what's driving him now, although he was quite obnoxious uh, in addition. But it's fear, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I want you to know that some of you are frightened by your portfolio decline as well. And there's a statement in this story that I thought, I hope, will give you a great sense of how to deal with fear. It's a great statement. It's verse 23, folks. Because this is how a wife deals with her husband who is caught up in fear. (laughs) And isn't that great, guys? We're the ones so nervous, and our wives are leading us to the promised land. But notice what she says. In in response to his statement, Oh, we're going to die! She says, If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands. Nor would he have shown us all these things. Nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. Now, I want you to notice what takes place in that verse. How her husband, oh, how his wife, I wish she had a name. She doesn't. But we'll call her Barbara. Uh, How Barbara (laughs) counsels her husband through his period of fear. There's there's a general comment that I want to draw your attention to, and then two, uh, two or three specifics, and then I'm finished. First of all, generally speaking, she focuses her husband, she focuses attention on God. Notice what she does. She says, if the Lord, he, he, he. That is, in the midst of dealing with your fear, my dear husband, you have got to spend your attention. You've got to fix your attention, not on your circumstances and not on some kind of human solution. You've you've got to begin by reminding yourself of certain things that you know are true about God. The, the, The solution that she uses to counsel her husband through his fear is to take his attention off of his circumstances and focus them on the living God and who he is. Ladies and gentlemen, is there anybody in this room so foolish as to think that once we catch and kill, if we kill him, Osama bin Laden, that our troubles are over? Does anybody believe that? Are you so benighted that you feel like all will return to normal if we can just capture him? That's poppycock, ladies and gentlemen. My point is, you must not focus your attention on American foreign policy. If we're going to work through a period of fear, the first thing that we must focus on is the nature and the character of the God that we know. We know that He's not capricious. We know that, he's not, that He doesn't blow His top, like me, over foolish things. He's not whimsical and He's constant and unchanging. The first thing that Barbara does to deal with her frightened husband is to take his attention off of what he is experiencing and to fix his attention on the Lord God. That's the first thing that we've got to do, ladies and gentlemen. If we're going to walk through our fear about our portfolio or about anthrax or about uh, terrorism or about flying, we're going to work it through our fear. The first thing that we've got to do is forget. we've got to focus on who God is. What things do we know about Him? But that's a general comment. Specifically, I want you to notice a couple of three things that she mentions. First of all, um, look at that statement um, at the last of uh, the verse. Nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. That is, Barbara has fixed her attention on things that God has told her. She is fixing her husband's attention on promises that God has made her. No, dear husband. We will not die because God has promised us certain things that mean we won't die. Now, guys, I am not by any means saying that none of us will die in in terroristic attacks. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying to work through fear. Barbara has taken her husband and, and tried to remind him... Of promises God has made to them. Ladies and gentlemen, the stance of of confidence and safety and security is not to be found on CNN reports. It's going to be found. Oh, did anybody get all excited about the city that the Northern Alliance took this week? First good news we've had in the war. That we think, maybe... (laughs) That bunch of Afghans over there has taken that marshy relief or whatever it is. We've got us a city. Is that where your comfort came from, ladies and gentlemen? Well, that's not what Barbara is doing. Barbara is taking her husband and reminding him of promises. God has told us things, oh dear husband. So fix your confidence in what he told us. Not in what you're feeling. You know, it's interesting to me that in the midst of this context of fear and she's falling on her face and her husband and she's like, she is more confident in the promises of God to her than she is in whatever emotions she's experiencing. What is more real to her is the promises that God made them. Not in the emotions that are so turbulent at this moment. Guys, um, I'm saying to you that one of the, the, the second step in overcoming fears, after we've reminded ourselves that we must fix our attention on who God is and what He's like and what His character and nature is, then we must hasten to His promises. Guys, you know, if you walk in a path of faith, you don't get everything you want, but what you get is God. And that's better. Gang, some of us may die in airplane crashes. God forbid. Some of us may contract anthrax. Carol Watson was telling me uh, in a prayer request that she ran into a young woman in a woman's restroom in a public place who was 34 years old and just found out that day that she had ovarian cancer. You know, and, and Kara was able to minister to her and counsel with her and, and witness to her. But the point is, guys, that may be true of some of us, not particularly ovarian, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm not saying that our path is going to be cleared away from all trouble. But I am saying if I'm on a path that God placed me on, it's safer than the path I would be on if I weren't on that path. That's the best path for me. And God has made me promises and assurances of that. I could list dozens for you. The one, of course, that you all know that I use. For God has promised us that all things work together for good. To them that love God are the called according to His purpose. All things work together for our good. And I must remind you of what God told us. And in the midst of handling your own set of fears, you must retreat to those things that God has promised His people. I'm not saying you won't get anthrax. I'm saying you must retreat to the promises of God. I hope you don't. But in dealing with our fears, we've got to remember things about God and then land on what He has He's not going to kill us. He gave us a promise that He was going to give us a son. How could He keep that promise if He kills us? That's pretty good counsel. And I want to use the same counsel with you. Gang, how is it going to be bad if God has promised it's going to be good? And that's what we've got to go back to. What, what has He told us? And then one other thing, I'm finished. I want you to notice there that she mentions the sacrifice. And she she mentions that the sacrifice has been accepted. She reminds her husband that God has accepted the sacrifice. She understands that a right relationship with God is based on an acceptable sacrifice. She knows something. She grasps something. that uh, That if God accepts a sacrifice, all grounds of fear are removed. Her safety before God depended on an acceptable sacrifice. I want you to notice, ladies and gentlemen, what she doesn't use to comfort her husband. She doesn't turn to her husband and say, no, no, Menorah, we're perfectly safe. Because we're such good people. I mean, we have lived righteous lives all our lives. Don't worry about a thing. God wouldn't do something to people as good as us. She doesn't use that strategy. Her strategy is if there is an accepted sacrifice, all grounds of fear are removed. But she wouldn't dream of prating some supposed goodness on their part in the presence of God. What she appeals to is an accepted sacrifice. And she focused herself and her husband on that accepted sacrifice. Gang, God accepts us on the basis of an acceptable sacrifice. Thus we need not dread Him. Now guys, quickly. Notice what she did. She took her husband, counseling through his fear, and she said, Remember the character of God. Return to the promises of God. And relish in the sacrifice that's been accepted. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the gospel. The gospel is based on the character of God, promises that He's made, based on an acceptable sacrifice. Guys, what I'm suggesting to you is that the gospel, a reminder of the provisions of the gospel, is a route through our fear. You know, um, can I read you something? I hate to read poetry, and actually this has got three stanzas, and I won't read the first two of them, but this is by John Donne. I just thought, listen. I have a sin of fear that when I've spun my last thread, I shall perish on the shore, but swear by thyself that at my death thy son shall shine as he shines now and heretofore. And having done that, thou hast done, I fear no more. Do you see what John John Dunn is appealing to us about? Okay, I've got this fear, but when my life is over, if your son will shine as he has shined before and heretofore, then that is enough. My fear is gone. Gang, I am suggesting that a fear of condemnation is is solved in the gospel. You and I do not have to dread God ever again if the grounds of our acceptance is the sacrifice that He provided. But may I add to that, not only is the gospel our refuge as we begin the Christian life, it is our refuge as we continue the Christian life. Over and over again, we have to return the character of God. The promises of God. And the sacrifice that He provided. The Christian life, guys, is nothing more than grabbing hold of the gospel day after day. We must begin again in the gospel. Every day. Martin Luther said this, and with this I'll stop. To progress in the Christian life is to be always beginning again in the gospel yes ladies and gentlemen it is the provisions of the gospel that prepare us to meet eternity to prepare us to meet temptation to prepare us to overcome fear it is the provisions of the gospel his character his promises and the sacrifice of Christ that is the place to which you and I must return I invite you to return to it with me now, as we head to the Lord's supper. Let's pray. Our Father, I do pray that your people will find a sense of liberation from things that trouble them as we go back again and think through the wonderful, wonderful provisions made for us in Christ. All of those promises, all of that that impeccable character Father remind your people that there is nothing to fear once the sacrifice was accepted and that now as we continue in this path we can do so by drawing from its provisions over and over again might we do that just now as we eat the body and drink the blood symbolically Of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In His name we pray.